podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. good boys and girls welcome to the two-footed podcast on tuesday the 16th of march we are brought to you by eplindex.com in association with our presenting sponsor liberty shield liberty shield is a vpn provider it's a virtual privacy network it allows you to go online change your location access american netflix if you want to do that use your now tv if you're outside the uk libertyshield.com use the code eplvpn to get 20 percent off at checkout we're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, which is a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk. Right, folks, just the one game last night, Liverpool going to Molyneux and winning 1-0. A game overshadowed by a bad injury to uh, Rui Patricio, who was knocked unconscious in a collision with Connor Cody. Had to be given oxygen on the pitch and was stretchered off. Uh, the update is that he is okay, he is conscious, he was talking once he got to the hospital, which is a massive relief because the game was stopped for close to 15 minutes as treatment was administered. I have to say I thought it was handled very well. I think we saw some bad takes around the situation afterwards, including, well, if the linesman put his flag up, nobody gets hurt. I don't think it makes a blind bit of difference. I don't think anyone notices the flag in that moment. It was such a quick thing. Salah played through by Oxlade-Chamberlain. He is half a yard offside. I don't think it makes much of a difference if the flag goes up straight away. I still think Salah goes through and shoots before anyone realises. And Connor Cody was chasing back in, trying to get himself in a position to make a, a block or whatever, and he made contact with Patricio his knee to Patricio's face. And um, unfortunately, that was lights out for the goalkeeper. The one horror about it was the camera panned to Raul Jimenez sitting in the stand with his scar very, very visible from his own fractured skull, suffered against Arsenal this year, and it did bring back memories of that. But thankfully, it doesn't look like it's that severe. He's likely to you know, to need a couple of days to rest and recuperate. But with the break coming up now, um, he will have that time, which is is massively beneficial. This is working out well for Rui Patricio that he doesn't have to uh, miss Premier League games. He'll probably miss the internationals, and that's no bad thing for him either. Um, they don't play again till April the 3rd when they play West Ham. So... Hopefully he won't have to miss any games. Thankfully he's okay. Liverpool won the game 1-0. Diogo Jota on the stroke of half-time after a really nice move involving Sadio Mane and Mo Salah. Liverpool were the better team in this game. It was, it was a close game. It was a fairly evenly balanced game. But Liverpool created the better chances. Mane had two really good chances first half. One when he was sent through one-on-one against the goalkeeper by Ginny Wijnaldum. Saw some complaints that he probably should have gone down uh, after Rui Patricio's hand made contact with his foot. But Patricio had gotten the ball first and foremost, so it wouldn't have been a penalty regardless. Uh, the second one, 
was a diving header from a Trent Alexander-Arnold cross, which went narrowly wide. The Reds took their third chance. Uh, Jota's left-footed finish after a lovely bit of interplay between the three forwards beat Patricio down low and gave Liverpool a deserved lead at half-time. The second half was quite even as well. Both teams played some good football. Both teams looked a little bit nervous. You can tell neither team is in good form at the moment. But I do think Liverpool were good value for the win. And it's a win that matters. Because it's back-to-back wins, back-to-back clean sheets. I think Ozan Kabak was excellent last night. I think he's been excellent the last two games and good the last four games that he's played after an initial shaky start. I do think he's settled in. I do think he's beginning to show the form that prompted Liverpool to scout him for so long. Some people have tried to make out that this was some sort of panic signing by Liverpool. Liverpool were scouting him when he was at Galatasaray. They covered him while he was at Stuttgart, considered buying him from there. He went to Schalke. They tried to buy him last summer after his first season. Couldn't agree a deal. When a deal came up, they jumped on it and got him in. He has an £18 million buy option in January. Sorry, in the, in the summer, having arrived in January on loan. I'd be very, very surprised if they don't take that up. Even if they don't see him as a long-term piece. A centre-back of his potential and his age for that type of money is a no-brainer. He looked that good next to Nat Phillips, who, with all due respect, is likely going to end up in the Championship or with a bottom five Premier League club next season. Imagine what he's going to look like next to Joel Matip, Joe Gomez or Virgil van Dijk. I I think Liverpool have, have done well to get him in. After the initial shaky period, I think he's looked quite good. He was really good in both games against Leipzig. Two clean sheets there. Really good against um, Sheffield United and uh, and Wolves. And I thought he did okay against Chelsea. Um, Fabinho had more problems in that game than he did. He did suffer against Leicester and Everton, but he was partnered with Jordan Henderson, who's not a defender. He definitely struggled with the, with the wind against Everton. There can be no doubt, for the first 30 minutes against Everton, he was awful. After that, he was fine. It coincided with Phillips coming on and him having a centre-back next to him. The Leicester game, he wasn't the worst of the two centre-backs. That's all you can really say about it. He wasn't the worst of the two centre-backs. Um, like I say, a good win for Liverpool. They are now sixth in the league above Everton, though Everton do have a game in hand as do Spurs. Uh, Liverpool have a nice break now, and then they play Arsenal on April the 4th. That's an away game. Then they've got Aston Villa at home, Leeds away, Newcastle at home, and Manchester United away. That's their next five. It's not an easy five, but if they come out of the break as they've gone into the break with more confidence, with everybody a little bit fresher, everybody... A little bit further along from the injuries, players like Keita, Jota, Milner. I I think Liverpool can go on a bit of a run here. I still think top four is a possibility. I don't think it's a probability, but it is a possibility. If they get through this next run of five games, 
in a good position, then it's in their own hands because their last four games are very favourable. Southampton at home, West Brom away, they'll be gone by then. Burnley away and Crystal Palace at home on the final day. Those last four, that's four wins. And if, if it's not four wins, that's a massive failure. They should beat Leeds. They should beat Newcastle at home. They should beat Villa at home. Arsenal away and Manchester United away will be difficult games. But again, they're a better team than Arsenal. They should go there and win. They haven't had the best track record at the Emirates, but they should go there and win. Ollie will park the bus against Liverpool. That's what he always does in these type of games. He will park the bus, and I think a draw from there is probably fair. If Liverpool can come out of the next five games with even three wins and two draws, ideally four wins and a draw, but if they can get three wins and two draws, they'll be in a really strong position because the other teams in the mix for top four have tougher runs from here on. And their last four is the easiest final four games that anybody in the league has. So I think it's very, very favourable for Liverpool. And they've left themselves an awful lot of work to do. They do sit quite a way off. Uh, they're six, sorry, they're five points behind Chelsea with the same amount of games played, but they're 10 points behind Leicester and 11 behind United. Now, Leicester have a difficult run in, and their last three games are United, Chelsea, and Spurs, two of them away from home. So I think that the, four, the other four, the fourth last game is Newcastle, who will be scrapping for every single point as they try and stay up. So that's a very difficult run. So if Liverpool can get themselves within punching distance of Leicester going into the final four games, I think they're going to have a real, cha- real, a real chance at this. Um, Wolves stay 13th. The disappointing season continues. They play West Ham next. Then f- That's at home. Then Fulham away. Sheffield United at home. Burnley at home and West Brom away. That's their next five. That's one of the more favourable runs of games you're going to get. West Ham will be very difficult, but the four after that are all games they should win. They're better than Fulham. They're better than Sheffield United. Everybody's better than Sheffield United. They're better than Burnley and they're better than West Brom. That is four winnable games after that West Ham game. Now, their last four will be tough. Brighton, that, that should be a win, but We'll, we'll wait and see. But then Spurs away, Everton away, and Manchester United at home is a very tough last three games. But the next six is where they can make make some hay. That's where they can get some points on the board and maybe get themselves back into the top half of the table, which I think will be their aim. They are now six points behind Arsenal, though, and Arsenal have a game in hand. So it is looking unlikely that they will manage a top half finish. It is looking very much like they will be a bottom half team this season. And look, at the end of the day, a team that's only in its third year in the Premier League, survival is good enough at times. When you consider how long their season went last year, 13 months, consider the injury to Jimenez, consider they lost two key players in the summer in Doherty and Jota, didn't really replace Jota. I think they upgraded on Doherty, but with a different type of player in Semedo. But Fabio Silva was no replacement for uh, 
for Diogo Jota. He's a kid who's a prospect. He's not a, a, a starter quality player at this point in his career. So I've said it before. I've said it for weeks now. I do wonder if this is the last season of Nuno. And it's nothing against him. It's not that he's become a bad manager. I think he's a good manager. I think he's, I think he's a top ten manager in the league. But I do think maybe the message is becoming a little bit stale. Maybe his loyalty to certain players has stagnated the team. I think it would be a mistake to get rid of him. But it wouldn't surprise me if they did. Or it wouldn't surprise me if he decided to move on. He'll have offers. He's a very good manager. He will have offers from a multitude of clubs. There's a club in Scotland that would be a really nice fit for him. I don't think they could get him. But if he wanted to move, there's a club in Scotland crying out for someone like him. Wolves are... Wolves are a really interesting project, though, because it's very difficult to see who walks in and moves them forward. Because of the makeup of the squad and the sheer volume of Portuguese players, you'd wonder if their loyalty to Nuno would outrank their loyalty to Wolves. He's the one that brought them there. He's the one that's developed them. He's the one that's played them. So maybe you would have to go another Portuguese uh, coach. Leonardo Jardim, he he might be available. Um, he might be easy enough to convince. He's currently out of work, having been sacked twice by Monaco um, in a short period of time. But he did win a league title at Monaco, and he had some great success there, built a, a phenomenal team. He might be worth considering if they do move on. There are some great Portuguese coaches out there at the moment. Um, but that's something they'll have to consider. How does move, changing the manager affect the dynamic of the group of players that they have? Um, one game to take place, sorry, two games taking place tonight in the Champions League. Real Madrid at home to Atalanta. Madrid lead the tie 1-0 after the first leg. Madrid are currently third in La Liga behind Barcelona and Atletico Madrid. They're six points off the top. They won 2-1 against Elche at the weekend. Um, Karim Benzema, who, to be truthful, is carrying this team, carrying this club on his back this season. He has 20 goals in all competitions. Seeing his re-emergence as a, an elite-level goal scorer post-Ronaldo confirms much of what I've always thought about Ronaldo in that he makes players around him worse. They all have to modify their games to suit him. And you look at Dybala now at Juve and see how his goals have fallen off. Benzema was an elite goal scorer, played Ronaldo, wasn't an elite goal scorer. Ronaldo leaves elite goal scorer again. Rooney, Tevez, Berbatov, Higuain, Benzema and now Dybala, they've all experienced it. If you play with Cristiano as a striker, you are going to become secondary to him because despite him being 
a wide player. He doesn't care about creating for anybody else. He just wants to score his own goals. And um, I think when he's done and dusted and his career is over, I do think somebody will do a deep dive into it, into the effect of playing with Cristiano and how it can negatively impact other players. Now, you'll win a bunch. So that's the payoff. Your own personal numbers will suffer, but you'll end up with a great haul of medals. Um, I don't know if that will be much consolation to Mr. Dybala, who already had a bunch of medals before Ronaldo arrived and hasn't won anything he wouldn't have won without him. But um, Benzema has been great this season. 15 goals in La Liga, 5 in the Champions League. He's, he's playing out of his skin. Scoring, creating, leading the line, working exceptionally hard. Nobody else at the club has scored more than 6. That's Casemiro, the defensive midfielder. Modric has 4. And then you get to the first attacker. Vinicius Jr. has 4. Sergio Ramos has three. Eden Hazard has three. Eden Hazard is out again with another injury. Uh, this is one of the more disastrous signings anyone has ever made. He's only played 25 league games since joining Real Madrid. 36 in all competitions. He managed 22 games last season, scored one goal. And uh, he's played nine league games this season, 14 in all competitions. He has managed three goals, though, so that is a vast improvement. But he arrived at Real. He didn't look like himself. He looked like he'd eaten himself. And it hasn't gone well. It really hasn't gone well. It's a shame because he played for that move for years. He's obviously a, a great, great player. There's no question he's a phenomenal talent. Real paid 100 million for him, 100 million euro, could potentially rise to 146 million euro. Uh, I would imagine none of the additional add-ons have been paid as yet. Um, he's allegedly getting paid 400 grand a week, which, you know, they're not exactly getting value for money uh, with, with, with Mr. Hazard right now. Hopefully he can rediscover his form and get back to something resembling his best. But he is now 30, so maybe his best is behind him. Uh, it was a strange move for Real to pay that much money at 29 with... Well, he was, he was coming off a good season, but he only had one year left on his contract. So it was a bit of a strange decision at the time to pay that much. They'll play Atalanta tonight. Atalanta come into this game having beaten Spezia 3-1 at the weekend. They're going quite well. Fourth in La Liga. Two points clear of Napoli and only three behind Juve. Though Juve do have a game in hand. Um, they're obviously a team that relies on their attack. But they do have one great centre-back in Christian Romero. They have him on loan with an option to buy from Juventus. It's a silly move by Juventus to allow him to leave. He is he is exceptionally good. And he's going to go on to have a great career. In attack, Luis Muriel, Duvan Zabata, they're the two to watch. Goal scorers, powerful, 
runners. They will do all the donkey work and score all the goals. They are really, really good. Uh, Robin Golsons is one to watch as well. The uh, the left wing back. He's got 10 goals this season. A real attacking threat from uh, from defence. And Hatabor, the, the right wing back, is another really good player. So if they're at full strength, they will cause Real problems. But you would still expect Real to go through at home with the 1-0 lead. Uh, Manchester City take on Borussia Mönchengladbach as well. That game is to be played, I believe, in Budapest. Um, City 2-0 up from the first leg. So massive advantage to them. Gladbach have been train wreck of late they've lost their last six in a row uh, they haven't won since the third of february they've taken one point from their last eight games they're out of the domestic cup they lost they've lost three champions league games in a row actually now which is interesting um they lost to inter lost to real in the last two games having started the group brilliantly uh, they lost their last two games and they've lost to City. But yeah, in the league, they've just been awful. Uh, five defeats out of six, one point against Wolfsburg, but lost to Cologne, Mainz, Leipzig, Leverkusen and Augsburg in their latest outing. Since Marco Rose announced, or well, since the club announced he was due to join Borussia Dortmund on February 15th, it has not been not been a good time for those uh, at Borussia Mönchengladbach. They've lost all six games since that happened. They drew the game before it with Wolfsburg. That was on a Sunday. They announced on the Monday he was leaving. And they've just fallen off a cliff since. You'd wonder if it's time for them to just say to him, look, we'll just put you on gardening leave. Thanks, but no thanks. Um, because it has to be a distraction. It has to be a distraction. Like Part of him has to be considering what he's going to do next year, looking at Dortmund, focused on what he's going to build at Dortmund. And any time he spends doing that is time he spends not focused on Borussia Mönchengladbach. And can the players really buy into a manager they know isn't bought in? I think they, they have to move on. If they have an interim coach they can appoint, I think that's probably for the best. Um, but I think he and whatever staff he plans to bring with him should probably be put on gardening leave from now till the end of the season. Um, who else is on? Rene Maric is on the staff. I'd imagine he goes with him because he came with him from Salzburg, as did Alexander Zickler. The one who was there before them, Frank Geddick. He might be the one to appoint as a caretaker. Uh, he's been an assistant at the club for 12 years. So he is somebody that is bought in. It might be in the club's best interests to appoint him as the, you know, the caretaker coach the, till the end of the season. Uh, Uwe Kemp's the goalkeeping coach, can assist him. He's been there all his life. They're, they're committed to Gladbach. And I'm not sure the rest are because if they're all if the if if Zickler and Maric are following Rose to to Dortmund, then you should just say goodbye to them all now. It's not helping anybody to have them there. 
and their season has cratered, in all likelihood, they're not going to be in Europe next year. They're currently 10th in the league. Um, now, the league is quite condensed. So, they're seven, they're seven points off Leverkusen for Europa League. Sorry, Europa Conference League. Um, yeah, it's. I think it's time to say goodbye and just start looking for your new coach now. But move on. It, it is just time. Um, we'll take a quick break and then we'll come back. We'll do the news and then we'll wrap up with a bit of gossip. See you in a few. Right, welcome back. Uh, first things first, we're going to check in with our good friend Garth Crooks. He's uh, released his team of the week, so let's see what he's gotten wrong this week. Um, oh, this is a train wreck. Right, he's gone with uh, Edward Mendy in goal. Did make a couple of good saves against Leeds, so I'm not going to argue too much with that. Rudiger, I would take umbrage with, uh, did not play particularly well in that game. Uh, Andreas Christensen next to him was substantially better, but I wouldn't put either of the Chelsea defenders in this team. He's picked Jamal Lachelles and Lewis Dunk. He's picked them purely on the basis that they both scored. He hasn't picked them based on their defensive nets, and he's done the same thing with John Stones. He's basically just picked three defenders that scored because he didn't bother himself watching any of the games this week. Um, that is an absolute nonsense. Four centre-backs thrown across. Who is he? Brendan Rodgers at home. Um, we're not having any of this. This is rubbish. He's gone Dwight McNeil. I don't have a problem with that, and he scored a worldie, so that's fine. Uh, Milojojevic. Mm, no. No, no. He did not play well. He scored a penalty, but he did not play well. Emile Smith-Rowe, absolutely. Yeah, I'll go with that one. Um, Diogo Jota wasn't the best of Liverpool's front three last night, so that's a bit of a weird one. Uh, Gabby Jesus, he scored, so that's that's why he's in. And Ian Atchow got a hat-trick, so absolutely you'd have him in. Um, this is a team that Garth Crooks has picked based on who scored at the weekend. He has not actually watched. I would say he watched the Arsenal Spurs game, and that's it. He might have watched Leeds against Chelsea, but I think he watched. No, because he picked Rudiger, so he couldn't have. I think he picked. He, he watched one game this weekend Arsenal against Tottenham, and based all the rest on match of the day and who scored. I think that is an absolute mess of a team. An absolute mess. I would agree with Iheanacho, Smithrow, McNeil, Mendy. I don't have a massive problem with Dunk, but I mean, he didn't have a whole bunch to do. No, I say he got four right, which is about in keeping with 
with Garth Crooks's usual uh, level. But yeah, he basically watched one game and based all the rest on what he saw on Match of the Day or what he read in the newspaper. How he's still employed, I, I really don't know. He's also got a new little edition called The Crux of the Matter. He's cribbing about Neil Lennon having to leave Celtic. Uh, apparently Chris Wilder's credentials aren't in Neil Lennon's league. That's a strange one. Because to me, what Chris Wilder has done at Sheffield United is far more impressive than what Neil Lennon did at Celtic. Far more impressive. And, I mean, Neil Lennon came to England as the manager. The only job he could get was Bolton. It was a disaster. So, I wouldn't be very impressed at all by Neil Lennon and his credentials. No. The usual rubbish from Crooks. We'll move on from that. Um, some news at Manchester United. Avram Glazer has sold some of his shares. Um, about 100 million US dollars worth of shares. So, it's a bit of a strange one. He's offering 5 million shares, uh, which at today's value of about $20, it, it translates to about £72 million. The money is earmarked for estate planning, which gives the impression a certain Palm Beach mansion is set for a rather glossy lick of paint. That is good. Um... Yeah, I mean, that money put back into the club could be very, very useful, but it won't. none of it will go into the club. Not a penny of that money will, will go back into the club. Uh, that money will go into his bank account. It's strange that he needed to do that, considering United pay about $23 million per year to the, dividend, to the, to the Glazer family in dividends. Uh, I heard Kieran Maguire on the Price of Football podcast suggest that the shares that the Glazers have sold have actually made them more money than they paid for the club to begin with, which of course they paid for by remortgaging the club and leveraging the club against itself and putting all the debt onto the club. Uh, that debt still sits on the club. They haven't paid it off. They've been paying interest ever since. It continues to grow and grow. Um, they're, they're fairly terrible as owners. They don't care about the club. They care about being in the Champions League. So when there's a threat of not being in the Champions League, then they'll gladly spend some money to get them into the Champions League. Now that they're in the Champions League, I don't know. I've seen reports that Manchester United could have 80 million to spend the summer plus sales. I wouldn't back it. 
I wouldn't believe a word of it. If they're in the Champions League, I think Ollie'd be working with 40 to 50 million, uh, plus whatever he can raise from sales. But he doesn't have a whole bunch to sell unless Donny van de Beek or Paul Pogba is sold. Like, Phil Jones is not bringing you any money. Juan Mata is not bringing you any money. Maybe Jesse Lingard, but he's got one year left on his contract, and it'll be off the basis of a couple of good months after a couple of bad years. So what will you really get from 15 million, maybe, in a compressed market? I don't, I don't even know if it'll be that. West Ham will probably want to keep him, but I don't know what they'll be willing to pay. Um, According to the Swiss Ramble, United have paid $112 million in dividends across the last five years. The only other Premier League club to have awarded any at all is Norwich, who've paid out three hundred grand. $112 million, 300 grand, nothing for, for anybody else. The money they've taken out of that club is, is just incredible. And um, I think the sooner United are rid of them, the better. They obviously had success in the early years because of Ferguson. Uh, but unfortunately, Ferguson was you know happy enough to have his pockets lined and uh, allowed this to take hold. And now it's eight years without a title. There's no title in sight. They'll finish second in all likelihood, but they won't be close to the title, the same as they weren't close to the title when they finished second under Jose. So they probably won't invest a whole lot, but they'll give Oli a new contract because he's a yes man. So they're happy. He's not going to rock the boat. Uh, moving on, Che Adams set to take a call up to the Scottish national team. Some negativity around this this morning. People saying he's only doing it because they've qualified for a tournament. Uh, yeah, and what? He's a good player. He improves the squad. Four years ago, he turned them down flat. Four years ago, he sat on the bench at Birmingham saying no to Scotland. Now he's a starter for a Premier League club and a good player saying yes. He improves them. So I don't know what the problem would be. He walks in as the best striker they have. So I don't know what the issue is. I think it's a really good get for Scotland. And I think more and more we'll see players start to change uh, change allegiances in international football because England are going to be really, really strong for the next bunch of years. Really, really strong. So this will become more commonplace. An interesting story uh, on The Athletic yesterday um, from Daniel Taylor, who I, I think is probably the best journalist in the country. Um. Him and Paul Hayward, I think, sit above everybody else. But it's about Sam Allardyce and the allegations made by Ravel Morrison that he was basically marginalised at West Ham because he refused to sign with an agent who is Big Sam's agent and it's believed Sam has a vested interest in his practice, Mark Curtis. Now, this is not the first time that Allegations like this, shall we say, have been made about Sam. Um, when he was at Bolton, there were a lot of rumours that he would only sign players if they agreed to sign with Mark Curtis. Now, this was in his later years, not when he had Ococ uh, JJ Koch and people like that. But from then onwards, 
this has been something that's followed Sam around. Daniel Taylor gives an, goes through an in-depth piece about it and asks the question of at what point do the FA have to step in and investigate this? And that point is now. That point is absolutely now. Um, they have been... You can find dirt on them going all the way back to when Jermaine Pennant left Notts County to join Arsenal when he was 15. That was 1999. And the Preston North End manager at the time, or sorry, the Notts County manager at the time was Big Sam. So Big Sam has had his fingers in all the pies for a long, long time. It was just that he got caught when he was England manager. But he's been at this type of thing for years. And, um, you know, Kevin Nolan, James Tompkins, Jack Collison, Matt Jarvis, Andy Carroll, Yussi Askelainen, and Adrian, they all signed with, with Mark Curtis while managed by Big Sam. So it's worth, it's definitely worth the investigation. It really is worth the investigation. And as uh, as Mr. Taylor says, the FA should want to know what really happened with Ravel Morrison. Um, personally, I, I don't think Big Sam has a place in, in, in football if this is what he's doing. I mean, the fact that he was allowed to step down as England manager and not fired and not banned from football, having been caught involved in corruption. It, it's a bit of a joke, really. Like it is, it makes a bit of a joke about the whole thing. And he's just allowed to carry on regardless. And who knows if he's not still doing the same thing. Um, we'll finish up with the gossip of the day. Uh, Tottenham and Chelsea are potential candidates to sign Paolo Dybala from Juve this summer. I think Juve will be mental to let him go, but if he does leave, he will have all the suitors. Everybody will want him. Paris Saint-Germain's Argentine midfielder Leandro Paredes has confirmed he was told by the club not to talk about Lionel Messi amid transfer speculation linking him to the French capital. Uh, yeah, it, it looks like if Messi leaves Barca, that PSG will be his landing spot to play with Neymar and potentially Aguero. It makes a lot of sense that it, that would be the move. It'll be easier on him in terms of the domestic schedule. And he can just focus in on winning the Champions League. Chelsea are considering including Timo Werner in a part exchange deal with Borussia Dortmund to bring Norwegian striker Erling Broth Holland to Stamford Bridge in the summer. Um, I will call that nonsense. But it is possible. I just don't think that Haaland would agree to it. And I don't think Dortmund would agree to it either. Werner's the biggest issue. Werner's not going to agree to that deal. Like, he's just not. And I don't think Dortmund could afford Timo Werner's wages anyway, because he's on huge money at Chelsea, like massive money. Chelsea had to pay him a fortune to convince him to join them, 
because that's not the club he wanted to go to. So I just don't see that happening at all. Manchester United will focus on Haaland as a top priority signing, while any approach for Harry Kane is seen as unlikely. Oh, it's it's amazing how a newspaper like the Manchester Evening News is still in business. It and the Liverpool Echo need to be just put in a box and fired into the sea. Atrocious rags. Dutch midfielder Donny van de Beek wants to leave Manchester United after less than a season and has requested a meeting with club bosses. Of course he wants to leave. He didn't want to join in the first place. Arsenal are looking at ways to keep Martin Odegaard at the Emirates next season and they are exploring both loan and permanent move options. They should keep him. He's a tremendous player. He's only 22. He's going to get better and better and he has adapted quite well to the Premier League. Plans to allow 20,000 fans to watch the FA Cup at Wembley may be restricted to local supporters to mitigate unnecessary travel, meaning fans based outside London would be unable to attend. And what's the point? Because Manchester City are going to be there. So unless they're playing a London club, what is the actual point of that? Now, it could be Chelsea. So, you know, Chelsea fans could get to go. Um, and they'd have the run of the place to themselves. But it just seems a bit pointless. You've got Bournemouth, Southampton. Bournemouth, Southampton's one game. Uh, both South Coast teams, neither particularly close to London. Uh, Everton or Man City, both Northern clubs. Chelsea or Sheffield United, that'll be Chelsea. And then Leicester or Manchester United, Midlands or Northwest. So let's just say it's Southampton. Man City, Chelsea, and Manchester United that get through. Um, I think you'd make City and Chelsea the favourites to make the final. But you wouldn't rule out United beating Chelsea if that's who they drew. If it was an all-Manchester final and there was no fans, there was 20,000 fans there, they they would be all United fans because United have a lot of fans in London and City don't. So yeah, maybe United or Chelsea get through, they'll have fans there, but other than that, what's the point? Um, Chelsea hope to agree a new contract with Antonio Rudiger before this summer's Euros uh, to avoid allowing the Germany defender to enter the last year of his deal. They couldn't wait to get rid of him three months ago. Now he's going to get a new contract. It just shows the short-termism that we deal with in football. Uh, Real Madrid manager Chris, uh, Zinedine Zidane says reports that Cristiano Ronaldo wants to return to the club could be true. Well, I'd imagine he does want to return to the club. I don't imagine the club is in a position to have him back, though. Um, and I'm not sure how they would make that deal work. Maybe they could package a bunch of their younger players and, and send them on the way and he could just go and you know play with Hazard and Benzema. That'd be an interesting front three as they all age really badly. Um, Hathaspor striker Aaron Bopenza is keen on a move to the Premier League and is being monitored by a number of clubs, including Southampton, Tottenham, Leicester, West Ham, Newcastle, Crystal Palace and Wolves. That is a lot of clubs. Um, He is Gabonese international teammates with... Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang and has spoken to him 
about a potential Arsenal move as well. Um, he is doing very, very well this season in the Turkish League. He has 18 goals in 23 games. This is kind of his breakout year, though, and at 24, you do always wonder. Now, he did have a good season on loan at Pau in the second division in France a couple of years ago. You do have some concerns about players that sort of explode in one season, especially in Turkey, where it can be quite easy to score goals. Uh, Barcelona are ready to offer a new contract to Usman Dembele, who's previously been linked to the potential move to Manchester United. Yeah, they have to, because otherwise they're going to lose their backsides. Uh, they spent ridiculous money on him, and um, it hasn't worked, but they have to keep him. It's a bit like the Paul Pogba situation, really. Um, Southampton forward Che Adams is considering switching his allegiance to Scotland. And finally, West Brom are among a number of teams monitoring the progress of Newport's English defender Priestley Farkarzen? I have no idea. Uh, apologies to Priestley. I can't pronounce your surname. But uh, best of luck to you if you do get that move. He is a right back. or He's also he's a centre-back who can play right back. Originally from London, playing for Newport County. This is his first season there, so, you know, he looks like he's come the hard way. Hitchin Town, uh, Billaraki Town, Hayes and Yedding United, Bishops Stortford, and Connie's Key Nomads. He's played non-league football and then moved to Wales, and now he's at a, a proper professional club playing in the Football League. So he's done it the hard way. And um, West Brom do need defenders. And maybe if he's ready to be championship level next year, he'd make a good signing for them. But that is it. That is the gossip. That is the show. Thank you, as always, for listening. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow with a St. Patrick's Day special. Take care of yourselves. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.